Hello, everybody, and welcome into a Monday episode of the Blake Pace Podcast. We are here October 22nd, and wow, we've had a busy day. Busy Monday in the NFL. A lot to talk about as we get into things. Of course, tonight is the upcoming Monday Night Football game between the New York Football Giants and the Atlanta Falcons. Um, Of course, two of the uh, more disappointing teams in the NFC to start the season, but we've got that game later tonight. Some big trade, a big trade, a big trade, maybe more coming over the next week and a half, as I believe we got eight days until the trade deadline runs up. But of course, a mega deal today that we'll discuss. Another star wanting to move elsewhere, we'll discuss that. We'll also discuss Jaguars, because of course, Blake Bortles can't stay out of our headlines when he keeps being bad at football. So we've got a lot to discuss. I'll preview tonight's game as well, Um, Falcons versus Giants, give you a little bit about that. But, you know, happy to be back here on Monday, ready to get going into the week. I just had a nice weekend back home with my family. We had the bye week for JMU football, so I I fortunately had the weekend to go home, went back to New York, hung out with the family, had a good time. But now I'm back, and I'm ready for, you know, really the second half of the season. And so we're going to get more into things. Of course, our betting shows always on Friday with Bennett. Um, you know, I had another good week in the positive. Even with tonight's outcome, I'll still stay in the green for the second week in a row, making up for my miserable first week betting with Bennett. Bennett, of course, maybe didn't do as well, but he also has a chance tonight to uh, get into the green for this week specifically. I don't know if he'll get in the green since he started, but, you know, a fun show. I hope you guys listen to those on Fridays because that's, you know, a really fun one that we do, just betting against the spread. Um, You can check out the YouTube content that I do as well, Blake's Big Ten. I kind of do a power ranking of the top 10 teams in the NFL. That's on my YouTube page. If you're listening on YouTube here, uh, make sure to subscribe, like, comment, share with your friends, do whatever you want to do with it. If you're listening on iTunes or Blog Talk Radio or whatever else, what other streaming options are possible, I'd thank you as well for giving this a listen. Um, This week, you know, of course, we'll be back on Friday, like I already mentioned, but Wednesday we'll also have a deep dive into a few of the big games of the week. I'm not going to spend too much time going over some of the bigger games because I'm going to save that for Wednesday's episode. Um, Three games that I already know that I will be looking into for sure. Of course, the Carolina Panthers comeback against the Philadelphia Eagles and how remarkable that was. I believe, you know, three touchdowns in the final 11 minutes of the game. So we'll kind of look at how Carolina was able to come back in such short notice and kind of where the Eagles fell apart. We'll also talk about the Cowboys and the Redskins, kind of my big, uh, where I was wrong over the weekend. I thought Dallas would get an easy win over Washington. I thought that their, um, you know, defensive front would handle the offensive line of Washington. I thought on the other side of things that the Cowboys offensive line would be able to establish a run game against the Washington front seven. And they kind of, from what I've seen early on, didn't really uh, handle it that well, kind of got dominated by Washington. So we'll look at that game and see where I was specifically wrong. And then the third game we'll talk about, of course, is the Saints-Ravens game. Of course, Justin Tucker, you know, doesn't miss many kicks, but of course he misses that that extra point for the first time in his career. I believe he's 220 for 221 in extra point kicks. But we'll talk about that game in general because honestly, it was the game of the week and one of my favorite games of the season. So I'm going to do a deep dive into that, show you some of the things, uh, you know, these are two teams that will be here at the end of the season in the thick of things fighting for a Super Bowl berth. And I think, you know, 
what we saw was just a, a, a great array of talent on the football field. Um, so make sure to listen to that on Wednesday, betting show on Friday. And yeah, we're getting toward the second half of the season. Um, hoping to get more content out there, more than I can of, you know, it's been a hectic first half of the year. I'm trying to get out as many shows as possible, but you know, here's a start. Here's the first episode. So hopefully we can get a good string of stuff going on, some good content. And yeah, let's just dive into things. So the big news of Monday morning, I believe, is that, uh, you know, Josina Anderson of ESPN reported that the Raiders are trading wide receiver Amari Cooper to the Cowboys, and they're reportedly sending a first-round pick back to Oakland. Cooper, of course, was the fourth overall pick in the 2015 NFL Draft. Uh, Had a pretty good start to his career the first two seasons. He had 1,000 yards in each of the years, but then kind of just declined as, as his career went on over the last few years, and he's kind of looked kind of empty um, with the Raiders offense this year. They seem to be featuring more of Martavis Bryant than him. Uh, Jordy Nelson seems to be in the thick of things more than he does. Jared Cook, more run heavy as well. So uh, Cooper's, you know, fallen out of that rotation kind of and really wasn't a feature player that he had been in the start of his career. Um, and, you know, for Dallas on the other side of things, they had to make this move because they have no receiving talent. You know, the pass game is one of the worst in football. Allen Robinson, or excuse me, Allen Hearns, I believe, from, from Jacksonville, hasn't panned out. They're relying on Michael Gallup, you know, a rookie wide receiver, kind of to be their number one. You know, no, you know, no Jason Witten. He's up in the booth for Monday Night Football. You've got Cole Beasley, but he's only limited to what he can do. And then, honestly, I believe that Zeke is probably their best passing option out of the backfield. So they really didn't have that many options at receiver. And sir, sure, if you if you can get a guy who's shown flashes of potential, you got to make that move. And I think it came at the perfect time where the Raiders kind of, you know, this season is a wash. And we'll talk about the deals that they made and how this racks up with them. But Dallas really needed to make this move because they're at a desert point of their season where I believe, and I've, I've said this before, Dallas was my pick to win the NFC East. And I think they have the talent there to still do it. I believe their, their defense is one of the more underrated groups in the NFL. I thought that if they went run heavy, where they were using a lot of design runs for Dak and they were using Zeke a lot, maybe using Zeke out wide a lot, that they could get things done and really win in what is a lackluster NFC East. But you saw in the early parts of the season, they really don't have a top guy, a go-to receiver. And you kind of knew that going into the year. Um, you thought that they might make a trade like this. And when it became reported that Amari Cooper was available, the Cowboys just made the most sense. So, of course, this deal gets done. Um, and, and, you know, there's two different ways to look at this trade outcome, you know, both from a Raiders perspective and a Cowboys perspective. Cowboys perspective, of course, I've already just talked about it a little bit. It's getting a guy, getting a guy in there that has potential, that can be a guy that maybe he he just needed a change of scenery. You know, Amari Cooper is like the, the Kawhi Leonard of the NBA. I mean, a less talented version as well, of course, but Amari Cooper is a guy that really is just quiet. I mean, he, he's a silent guy. It doesn't seem that he really makes the best of friends in the locker room. He kind of just sticks to his own, is a little bit quiet, is quiet with the media, doesn't really do that many endorsements or, you know, commercial stuff like that. And, the, you know, the, the easy comparison was to Kawhi Leonard in the NBA because he was essentially like that. And because, you know, Cooper started out his career on such a high note, it was like, oh, this is, you know, a potential top five talent at the wide receiver position. He's just quiet. He's just shy. He's just an introvert, kind of like Kawhi. But, of course, the big difference being now is that, you know, we really haven't seen much from Amari Cooper. Um, You know, he's kind of just dwindled down, and he's kind of become less of an X-factor for that offense. And, um, you know, 
as it became apparent that this season was a wash for Oakland. Of course, they're sitting as one of the worst teams in football. They got a high-octane offense for sure. Defense has nobody on there, like literally nobody, especially when they trade Gary Ann Conley, who I think has potential. I mean, they got Carl Joseph at safety, um, Bruce Irvin, but, man, it, it, it's empty, of course. You know, John Gruden's made a ton of trades since he got here, moved a lot of guys, got rid of a lot of guys. Of course, the big trade for Khalil Mack. Honestly, I'll be honest, to get a first-round pick out of Dallas was, I think, probably the best move that he's made since he got hired. Um, I believe that kind of even his draft day moves, uh, trading up for Colton Miller in the first round, I wasn't a fan of. I didn't even have Colton Miller in my, like, top two rounds, um, you know, in, in my draft board heading into the draft process. I wasn't a, you know, big Colton Miller fan. I thought there were a ton of other offensive linemen more important are more, you know, with higher ceilings than Colton Miller did. Um, so I wasn't a fan of that. No one was a fan of the Khalil Mack trade, of course. That was, you know, probably might go down as one of the worst trades in NFL, in, you know, the recent decade or so of the NFL. It's one of the worst tra uh, draft, or sorry, one of the worst trades of all time. But, you know, to turn it around and to get a receiver that wasn't a feature part of your offense, who hasn't really shown much of anything, in terms of potential in the last two years to get a first round pick and maybe a first round pick that ends up being in the middle teens. I don't have any problem with that. I don't have a problem with, you know, this team is, is rebuilding, you know, who knows what they're going to be looking for in this off season. Are they going to be looking for a new quarterback? Is Derek Carr on the move? They seem like they might just want to blow this entire thing up. You know, it might not be this year that Carr is gone, but maybe it's next year before the team heads to Vegas, but it really seems that they're just doing this whole, all right, we're tanking. Kind of let's just collect some draft picks. We're going to pull, you know, some, uh, you know, a hat from, you know, we're going to steal from the NBA with the Hawks or the, the Mavericks and kind of just tank for a little. The Suns get some high quality picks so we can turn into potential stars and see what we can do there. So if Derek Carr is on his way out, they already traded Khalil Mack. They're easily their best player on the team. Wide receiver Mari Cooper is now gone. If I'm just getting rid of all my guys... And, and I can get a first-round pick for a guy that really wasn't even doing that much for me, then I'm all for it. And I think that this is probably the best move that John Gruden and Reggie McKenzie have made since he got to Oakland. And on the flip side of things, of course, Dallas, you know, they just needed it. If, if this pans out, this is a great move for them. They needed that number one wide receiver threat. They needed a guy that can take some of the defense outside of the box. Now, of course, you need to be able to get a few games before, you know, a good quality amount of games out of Amari Cooper before really you, you put more attention to the pass defense. Because right now, all teams that have to do, and all Washington really did, I'll go into this further on Wednesday, was they just stacked the box. They said, all right, we're bigger than you. We know you're not going to pass the ball. You may get one long touchdown, you know, here and there. But we're going to trust that if we can limit Zeke, if we can limit this run offense, you're not going to be able to beat us. And if that's the recipe to beat the Cowboys, then they were in trouble without this wide receiving threat. Now, if you have Amari Cooper, of course, he hasn't been what, you know, you thought he was over the last few years. But if you can tap into some of that potential, it spreads out the field. You have to pay attention in the back end for him. And then you can run more with Zeke. You can run a play action where you find Cooper deep. This offense can really get more diverse with a guy like that, if it pans out. Because if it doesn't, and he blunders, you know, you, you did waste a first-round pick on this guy. And if you do fall out of the standings, and you do fall out of the NFC East race, even though I don't believe that's possible, I think it's going to be, you know, a team that barely makes it in there, maybe at 8-8, eight 9-7, and eight, nine and seven and wins that division. I think it's going to be that tight. Um, 
you know, you're wasting, you know, a first round pick that you could have maybe gotten a future wide receiver that maybe has more upside, or you could have bolstered the offensive line that's only getting older, or maybe you want to invest in a in a in a quarterback because you know, like I've said, Dak Prescott to me isn't a franchise guy. I think he's one of the few replaceable quarterbacks in the league at this point, and he's one of the guys that I think, you know, by this year or the end of next year, you could see him as a backup somewhere else or definitely not making the max money that he's going to want. Um, you know, everyone kind of blew up his rookie season as some big, pretty picture, but he got a lot from Zeke in that. And after the team fell apart, they lost Dez, they lost Jason, they lost a lot of weapons, the offensive line got worse. You kind of realized that Dak really wasn't the guy. So if you're Dallas and you waste this first round pick and Cooper doesn't pan out, you've not only wasted this season, but you hurt next season. So a lot is riding on Dallas, but I'm okay with it for this one season because I think they still have a chance to win the division. And if Amari Cooper can give them that extra boost in the passing offense and can, you know, alleviate some of the pressures off of Zeke, he'll be more comfortable between the tackles. He, you know, the defenses will have to spread out and adjust to the, you know, it's not just the fact that Amari Cooper is the number one. It's that, okay, now Cole Beasley's the number three. And, you know, Alan Hearns is the number two option. You know, they all move down in the pecking order, but they're more fit for those roles. You know, Cole Beasley isn't meant to be a number two or maybe a number even, you know, one, depending on how much you use him in the game. He's more of a guy that, you know, works quietly and breaks through the defense. He's not, he does, if he's the number one focus for defenses, he's going to get shut down, just like Alan Hearns or Michael Gallup. Like, these guys aren't number one talent. So when you put them into that role and the defense can, you know, has to account for them as the number one option, it's easier to eliminate those guys. But now when you've got your second corner on, on, you know, Gallup or Hearns on the outside, they stand a better chance than, you know, their number one corner locking them down. So I believe that this all just in the pecking order of the passing offense opens up so much more for Dallas that I'm okay with doing it for this year. But buyer beware, because if it doesn't work, you've wasted a first round pick and you further yourself, you know, in, in trouble for, you know, the time when, you know, Dak's contract is up and maybe Jason Garrett isn't your head coach anymore. And it just spells trouble for the new era of Dallas Cowboys football, which is very important to the NFL. So all in all, that was the big news from Monday. Um, a trade goes down, Amari Cooper for a first round pick. It'll be interesting to see. We, we do have to wait about two weeks until Dallas takes on Tennessee, um, of course, Oakland had their bye week last week. Dallas has their bye week this week. So Mari Cooper gets two weeks off and gets to make some nice money. But now we'll wait a couple weeks and see how this offense fits in. It also gives him more time to adjust to the things, to adjust to the scheme, get him ready for that game. And, you know, it should be exciting to watch how it pans out toward the end of this year. But one trade that seems like it's going to happen, it hasn't happened yet, the biggest, the second biggest, I guess, news of the day, Patrick Peterson asked to be traded and desperately wants out of Arizona. Yes, the seven-time Pro Bowler and three-time All-Pro cornerback, 28 years old, would like to be traded from the Arizona Cardinals that are clearly in a rebuild and I guess essentially wasting, not wasting, but you know, holding back the, what might be the last few strong years of Patrick Peterson's career. Um, Steve Wilk, you know, when asked about Patrick Peterson wanting a trade, quote, we're not trading Patrick, that's out of question. He further went on and said, I don't know if he really requested that. He hasn't expressed that to me, but we will talk at some point in time. Now, the big news, CBS sports analyst Bryant McFadden, who is Patrick Peterson's cousin, also came out and said that Cardinals all-pro cornerback Patrick Peterson at P2 is his Twitter handle. His ideal trade destination is the New Orleans Saints, per source, Patrick Peterson. So it's not only clear that Peterson wants out, we've got his cousin here saying that per Patrick Peterson, 
he wants to be an Orleans Saint. And of course, this would maximize, you know, the next few years or maybe with the tail end of Peterson's career, um, you know, putting him in at the sec number two corner spot for, you know, the New Orleans Saints who are in a Super Bowl window, definitely, um, with, you know, the mix of Drew Brees, Kamara, the weapons that they have. And, you know, what's definitely an average or above average defense, he certainly as a number two corner would be a big upside, you know, working with him and Marshawn Lattimore across each other. I mean, I, that's one of the better cornerback duos in the league. Um, but of course, right now, he's got a lot of money is the big thing. The Cardinal, he has a hold of 11.8 million in 2019 and 13.1 in 2020. So if you're taking Patrick Peterson on, you're committing a lot of money to him over the next two seasons. So you need a team that also has some cap flexibility or someone that's willing to trade away a guy that also is making a reasonable sum to get him in return. Now for the Saints, I think this is a perfect trade. If you know the guy wants to go there, of course, it, it, you have to make sure that he's available. Of course, if he's not available, this is all speculation and it doesn't even matter. But if you can go out there and get Patrick Peterson, still one of the better corners in football, I'm not going to say he's a top five cornerback because I do believe over the last two years we've seen him slip down just a little bit from his, the level that he was at, of course, when he was an all-pro selection. Then I go and do that because one of the, I guess, not surprises because, you know, we really hadn't seen it over a certain long stretch, was that this defense in New Orleans hadn't looked as great this year as it did last year. Last year it had a, a bunch of surprising names. You know, Marshall and Lattimore had a breakout year. Their, their entire draft class had a breakout year, and the defense looked really strong, and it was complementary to their high-octane offense, which made them, you know, almost a Super Bowl threat. You know, they were one play away from the NFC Championship game. So now you go out there and you get another guy that, if he's not your number one corner, he's your number two. And if he's your number two, you've got a former all-pro talent as your number two cornerback still at the age of 28. That really fortifies the back end of your defense. And, of course, you know, in, in the NFC South, where you've got Matt Ryan hooking up with Julio Jones, um, you know, Tevin Coleman out of the backfield, Mohamed Sanu, the rookie Calvin Ridley. You've got Cam Newton and his two-way ability with McCaffrey out of the backfield. Devin Funches, the rookie DJ Moore. And then Tampa Bay, Deshaun Jackson, Mike Evans with, with you know, <clears throat> excuse me, when you've got Jameis Winston who can hit him deep, O.J. Howard at tight end. You're in a division that can really burn you on the back end of your defenses. But if you quickly equip what is probably the best secondary in that division, that helps you out so much late in the season. Of course, you got to look at the rest of their schedule, too. So in all likelihood, I don't know if you're going to get him before this week, of course. But they play Minnesota, and of course you've got Diggs, Thielen, you know, Kirk Cousins as well. Then the following week, you would have him by then, and I think that you would be able to play him at this point. By the, the first game in November, they play the Los Angeles Rams. And, of course, they have one of the most explosive offenses in football with a number of wide receivers. That instantly helps you out there. They also go and play the Bengals. And the Bengals, while they haven't looked great, they didn't look great against Kansas City. They have Tyler Boyd, A.J. Green, really good receiver threats. You have to play, uh, the, you know, the Cowboys are now of Amari Cooper, but really not that much besides that. Philadelphia offense hasn't really shown me that much. Of course, we mentioned you have to play the Falcons again. You have to play the Buccaneers and the Panthers again. But then... The, the, the last one, and that could be a real you know burner for you, is right before Christmas, you play the Steelers. And they've got Juju Smith-Schuster, Antonio Brown, two really great talents at the receiver position. So clearly, they've got a lot of teams in the back end of their schedule that can burn you deep. 
And if, if you can get a number two cornerback in there that's Patrick Peterson and line him up with Marshawn Lattimore, it makes your secondary so much more fortified and so much stronger that really you only have to worry about the front seven and really getting pressure on the quarterback. And of course, when you've got more time to get to the quarterback because you've locked down the receivers, the offensive, the defensive line and the linebackers play to a lot higher level because they've got more time to get to the quarterback. So of course you have to figure out how much you could get in return for before even that. Is he available? Because of course, like Steve Wilk said, he's not available. They're not trading him. But of course, we've seen these situations go along where if a guy really wants to be out of there, and you see this a lot in the NBA too, if a guy wants to leave, he's going to end up leaving. And if Patrick Peterson wants to leave, he's got you know the the resume and he's got the the stardom to believe that if he wants to get his way out of there, he can work his way out. So you got to do that. Second, figuring out what you have to give up back in return. If you're thinking the Cardinals, what what do they want? Well, maybe everything. You know, maybe they want some younger offensive line players. Maybe you know a, an offensive lineman. Maybe an early pick. Um, the Saints are going to be in that back end of the draft, but maybe you would be willing to give up a first round pick if it's later on. But wait, they've already given up their first round pick. So yeah, the Saints this year don't really have any of their early round picks. They gave it up, uh, of course, to the Packers to move up to number 14 to take Marcus Davenport. So really you're looking at maybe a 2020 pick and maybe a, a young talent that they've got on offense, maybe a younger wide receiver, someone on the offensive line. Um, of course, I don't believe that if you're Arizona, you're going for a running back. I think you might look for a wide receiver. Really no tight ends on the Saints that you really, you know, seem to be like you want. So you're more likely investing in draft picks and maybe some younger rotation guys on the defense. So if you can do that in the Saints, that's great. But now we've got to look at some other places that Patrick Peterson can go because I believe there are a few teams that are really in, 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 in straight-up contention right now for the Super Bowl or maybe the AFC or NFC championship games that really need to take this into consideration. One of those teams, of course, being, and you know maybe Twitter kind of showed you that already, is that if he went to the Pittsburgh Steelers, um, Antonio Brown sure would be a fan of that. At 3.45 p.m. today, October 22nd, he tweeted, Automatic chip. Uh, championship, of course, for you older folk, at P2, which is Patrick Peterson's Twitter handle, to Steelers. So an automatic championship if Patrick Peterson goes to the Steelers. Of course, the Steelers have an explosive offense, don't really have that much talent in the back end of their defense or their defense in general. It hasn't really looked that strong. So if you could get a, a number one corner for them, of course, that's a team that desperately needs help on defense, that Patrick Peterson would be an immediate upgrade. I also believe that they have more cap space the New Orleans. New Orleans, the problem is, is they have less than $2 million in salary cap space this year. They would need to really get away some of their higher paid guys. And like I've said, they've already traded away next year's first round pick and they've already traded next year's third round pick. Um, so then you're thinking, okay, maybe if he doesn't go to Pittsburgh, what if he stays in the great state of Pennsylvania? Just kidding. I hate the state of Pennsylvania. Fun fact. The Philadelphia Eagles. Man, oh man, could they use an upgrade from Jalen Mills? It seems almost every game that Jalen Mills gets burnt on an average of, you know, five plays by opposing wide receivers. And this team, you know, the Eagles probably want to try their best to stay in Super Bowl contention, even though I may not think that they are. But getting a number one corner, a shutdown corner, can really help out the back end of their defense because passing offenses are just having a field day with them. Um, and also you take into effect and into account that the Eagles defensive coordinator, which if I can remember his name, is... Oh, of course, Jim Schwartz, former head coach for the Detroit Lions. Um, so, yes, he has a tendency to blitz way too much. And that, you know, ex further exposes their secondary. And Patrick Peterson could help that out because Jalen Mills certainly cannot. 
So the two teams in Pennsylvania, Pittsburgh Steelers and Philadelphia Eagles, both teams that want to stay in Super Bowl contention, could desperately use an upgrade at cornerback, and they have to be considered in there as well, along with the New Orleans Saints. But through all of this, there's one team that just stands out clear as day more than anyone else, and that's the Kansas City Chiefs. Now, Kansas City has potentially one of the, potentially the best offense in football. You know, I'd say I'd rival and say that the Rams have the best. So then you've got a top two offense in the NFL, the Kansas City Chiefs. But their defense, probably if not one of the bottom three defenses in all of football. Beside Justin Houston, who's getting up there in age, you've got D. Ford and Eric Berry, who hasn't been healthy this season or for much of this season. You've got a very easily exposable defensive side of the football. So if you can get Patrick Peterson in there, that's just another guy. You know, not only is he just a really good talent and an upgrade over whoever they have at corner currently, he's also a leader. He's a guy that's hungry to win. You don't demand a trade when you're making so much money and you've spent your entire career at one spot if you're not, you know, hungry to win. There's a desire in there that he wants to maximize the the remaining of his career and win before he, you know, before he has to hang up the cleats. So if you're Kansas City and you're in a Super Bowl window and you have a ton of cap space and no one on defense but an offense that has potential to take it to the Super Bowl, why not get a starting quarterback? Cornerback. Why not get Patrick Peterson, one of the better talents and probably what would turn into the best player on your defense? And yes, they still have problems up in the middle. I don't think it's as bad as it's, it was in the early weeks. I think we've seen you know Chris Jones and a few guys really come up and make a name for themselves um, over the last few weeks of the season. I thought the defense looked pretty good against Cincinnati as well on Sunday Night Football. Um, but Patrick Peterson, of course, would probably be, you know, I would take him over you know a banged up Eric Berry, and I definitely think he'd be the best player on that defense. So you really have to consider that, especially after the team traded away a guy like Marcus Peters. If you can bring in a guy who, yes, you have to pay him a lot of money over the next two years, but you have a lot of cap space. I think this is, you know, the clearest option or the most viable option for Patrick Peterson. Of course, he might want to go to the Saints. The Saints may be his number one destination. I think it's very difficult for them to pull off a trade. They want to upgrade at corner. Um, I believe Ian Rappaport reported that earlier this week or last week earlier in the season, but they don't have the room. They don't have the room to bring in a guy making $11 million next year and 13 the year after. Kansas City, meanwhile, has a ton of cap space. They literally got rid of everyone on their defense, and I believe they only paid Sammy Watkins and then Anthony Hitchens, I think, was their big pay on defense. So you've got a lot of room there. I think that this is a team that could really maximize on their Super Bowl window with a number one corner, uh, you know, a guy that can go in there and lead this defense from day one, hungry to win. He can, you know, help out some of the younger guys as well. And I think that, you know, Kansas City and Marcus Peters, or Kansas City, and Patrick Peterson would be an ideal fit. But of course, like I said, I would also, you know, I wouldn't put it past Philadelphia Eagles, Pittsburgh Steelers, or the New Orleans Saints to try and figure it out to get a corner to upgrade their Super Bowl odds. All right, so we started out this show with a trade that happened. Now we go to, then we went to a trade that probably is going to happen. And now we have to go to a trade that really, really, really should happen. I mean, it was reported just, you know, a couple hours ago, or I believe maybe an hour ago, that the Jaguars, after benching Blake Bortles for Cody Kessler in Sunday's loss to the Houston Texans, are sticking with him for their upcoming game in London against the Philadelphia Eagles. Doug Marone says, uh, I believe he gives us the best opportunity to win. And then he also said that he will be on, quote, a short leash for Sunday's game. Marone apparently talked with both Kessler and Bortles before letting him know their decision that they were going to be moving forward with Bortles again later this week. 
Now, I will say, if there is one place for Blake Bortles to, uh, you know, really spark his career and maybe turn things around this season, it's London. He's been pretty good in London. Jacksonville has always been playing in London. And the last three seasons that Blake Bortles has been in London, the team is 3-0, the offense scores 36 points per game, and he's thrown eight touchdowns to one interception. So, of course, a different man in London. But Blake Bortles has looked anything but average this year. And, you know, I've said on record for years now, Blake Bortles is one of the worst starting quarterbacks of all time. I think he ranks up there as one of the worst third overall draft picks in NFL history. The only problem is, is I think Cody Kessler may be one of the few quarterbacks in this league that have a lower floor than Blake Bortles. I believe that Cody Kessler probably is still at the same level talent-wise or slightly below Blake Bortles. And I think that's why at the end of the day, you have to keep Blake under center. The only question remains is for how long? How long is this team with one of the better defenses in football? And I get it. They did not look great against Houston. They got blown up by Dallas the week before. Of course, Kansas City lit them up as well. This defense has looked strained. But Given the talent on there, I believe that this is still the strength of the team. And I think that in a weak AFC, I, of course, believe the NFC is far more superior. But in a weaker AFC, and especially a weaker AFC South, where I believe Houston is 4-3 and three leading the division through seven weeks of football, this team still has the potential to make it back to the AFC Championship game. And if they had a better quarterback under center, I believe that they have a chance to make it to the Super Bowl. So there's a few guys out there that I believe if you're Doug Marone and you go to London and Blake Bortles doesn't play up to his you know, London standard, I believe you have to make a deal for it in the final two days of this draft. And I believe that you have to, you have to give up whatever you can to bring in some of these guys because the team is turning on you. You continuing to play Blake Bortles out there and seeing how he performs, seeing the costly fumbles inside his own territory – all of the bad decisions, this team is not. This team had already turned on Blake Bortles. You could see it in the post-game press conferences. Jalen Ramsey was out there saying, uh, we can't talk about it, but we all know what's going on here. Yeah, we all know Blake Bortles is a trash quarterback. So they're turned on Blake Bortles. But they'll turn on Doug Marone very soon if he continues to put out Blake Bortles week after week. So there are a few guys that they have to go out there and they have to make this deal for. The, the first one, and this may make the most sense to me specifically, um, and I'd hate to see him leave, but Jacoby Brissett uh, is, is a starting caliber quarterback and an immense upgrade over Blake Bortles. And I think he makes a lot of sense in this Jacksonville defense, in this Jacksonville offense. First of all, he's a big-bodied guy like Blake Bortles. He can throw a deep ball. He, he has a cannon of an arm, and you've got a lot of talent in there. Dante Moncrief is, you know, one of those 50-50 ball guys. You've got a couple guys that can really go up there and make plays. Keenan Cole, we've seen a bunch of great grabs from some of these receivers early on in the year. And if, if you want to go and, you know, experience a more of a deep pass game where you can really confuse deep teams on the back end and, you know, break through some safety coverage and find on deep posts or go routes, I think Jacoby Brissett can do a much better job than Blake Bortles, who I think is one of the more inaccurate quarterbacks in all of football. I also believe that, you know, you, you are losing a bit of athleticism at the quarterback position with Blake Bortles. If he's, you know, if you're going to Cody Kessler, I believe Blake Bortles honestly should be used as a Wildcat quarterback if you're going to utilize him to his, you know, t true talents. I believe he's a great athlete. I think he's, you know, a, you know, for his size, a pretty fast guy. And I think you could use him a lot in the read option, on the run, stuff like that. But you're still getting that with Jacoby Brissett. 
you're just getting a quarterback that can actually throw the ball to complement his running ability. So I believe that, you know, all in all, you wouldn't have to get much for Jacoby Brissett. You wouldn't have to give up much. Um, I believe, you know, there are rumors that the, the Colts traded, you know, turned down a first-round draft pick um, to the Seattle Seahawks, I believe at the beginning of the year, late in the offseason. Um, maybe you just go to one of the, the younger guys with some potential on your defense because the Colts really don't have that great of a secondary. Maybe you give up one of your corners. Um, maybe you give up a, a linebacker, a, a young up-and-comer, maybe a younger guy on your defense, maybe your first-round pick in Taven Bryan. Because, honestly, at the end of the day, an upgraded quarterback is more wor- is worth more than your first-round pick because this team can completely backfire against itself if they don't make a move from Blake Bortles and upgrade elsewhere. So I believe, you know, what makes the most sense is Jacoby Brissett to me, but also at the same time, I think it might be the least likely just because it's within the division. And I don't believe that Chris Ballard is sitting there and he wants to help the Jaguars upgrade from, you know, their miserable quarterback play. So while I do believe that, that, Jacoby Brissett makes the most sense for the Jaguars offense. I believe it honestly is probably one of the more least likely trade options just because of it being in the division and the Colts well aware that that's the weakness of their team at quarterback play. And they just had a, a, you know, the record wasn't a good season. They didn't have a great year in Indy last year, but Jacoby Brissett was the, you know, a bright spot on that team. And he showed that he had potential if you needed to go to him, if Andrew Luck was ever hurt. So at the end of the day, I don't believe they make the trade for Jacoby Brissett, but I do think his skill set really fits what you could run in this Jaguar offense. You know, one of the ones that I think, you know, I said that um, Jacoby Brissett was very unlikely, but one of the other ones that really confused me was was Eli Manning. Do we want Eli Manning in Jacksonville? If you're the Jaguars, and I get it, Blake Bortles is miserable. Do you want Eli Manning? I mean, God, I get it. It's an upgraded offensive line if you're Jacksonville. Um, but, you know, it's less talent around him. He's still not, you know, a great quarterback. I, I do believe he might be slightly better than Blake Bortles. But even then, you're getting a guy that's older. You're getting a guy that's still making some money. You're not going to send Blake Bortles back to New York in the deal, I believe. I don't think that that makes sense at all. Um, so I, that was the big name everyone saw. I was like, oh, well, Tom Coughlin is in, is in Jacksonville. And Eli Manning loved Tom Coughlin. And New York needs to move on from Eli Manning. The Giants aren't going to trade Eli Manning. If they fired their head coach for benching Eli Manning last year, then they're not going to trade him the very next year to the Jacksonville Jaguars. It just doesn't make sense. So I'm not even going to give that much more thought. One of the guys that I truly believe is available, and you know, I believe that the Jaguars should probably put all their chips in the in the, in the middle of the table and, and make a deal for it before it's too late. Um, of course, as we're eight days away from the trade deadline, is Tyrod Taylor. You know, I thought that the Jaguars should have gotten him in free agency before the Browns scooped him up. Um, I thought that he would have made a lot of sense there. And I thought, you know, I definitely think he's a bigger upgrade um, than Blake Bortles. For the Browns, if I'm if I'm Hugh Jackson, if I'm John Dorsey, I'm looking at things and I say, okay, Baker has shown me enough. He's the future of this team. Now, of course, you give up your backup quarterback spot. Maybe you can get a guy in free agency or maybe in another deal as well to get a backup quarterback. But I've seen enough from from Baker Mayfield in short time to know that he's the future of this franchise. And we don't really need to to keep Tyrod around for much longer. It's not like Tyrod is some, you know, 36-year-old veteran that's going to teach Baker the ways of the NFL. 
I think you could go and get someone else that would do a better job at that. And I think that you could get something of value from Jacksonville to bring it back. And maybe, you know, it's it's a draft pick or maybe it's, you know, one of the younger guys on the defense or an offensive line guy. I think that Tyrod Taylor adds not only a lot to Jacksonville in terms of, you know, deep passing. I thought I thought Tyrod at the beginning of the year looked really great with his deep accuracy. And, of course, like I mentioned with Jacoby Brissett, that really helps out you know, the receivers in Jacksonville and fits kind of that. I also think, you know, a mobile quarterback who can work, you know, when, when TJ Yeldon gets back or whenever Fournette gets back, it just adds another dynamic. And I believe that it's, it's easily an upgrade over Blake Bortles. And it's a guy that has starting experience. He wants to win. Clearly he's probably, I mean, he, he can't be happy being benched for Baker Mayfield. I mean, he was a starting quarterback almost his entire, you know, since he got to Buffalo, he really didn't lose that job. Of course, except for Nathan Peterman in that one game. But, uh, you know, Tyrod Taylor is a, is a starting caliber quarterback that's sitting on a bench right now. And I believe that if the Jaguars realize and if management realizes and Doug Marone realizes that this team is going to start turning on them, if they don't find themselves a starting caliber quarterback, then they're going to go out and make this deal. And I think that Tyrod Taylor makes the most sense. I think he's also the most easily available. You know, some of the other names, I don't think Eli's available, like I said. Teddy Bridgewater, I think New Orleans truly might believe that he's the future of the Saints organization. I don't think he'll be available. So then you look at starting caliber quarterbacks that are on the bench. I don't believe you make a move to Sam Bradford because he's got paper knees. He already got hurt early in the year. So what are you going to get out of him if he gets banged up? It's a waste of a trade. I think because of how young Tyrod is, his skill set, his availability, and the fact that he's a starting caliber quarterback sitting on a bench behind a rookie quarterback who's the future of the organization, you could get him for maybe not the most expensive price either. I feel like you could offer up maybe a, a mid-round pick, maybe a rotation guy, or maybe even a, you know a second round, something like that, to get your your you know quarterback not just for this season but for a few years after because I believe he got signed to a multi-year deal, so you're getting him for further than that. But I, I, at the end of the day, you have to do something because, like I said, this team will turn on Doug Marone, Tom Coughlin, and all those boys if they don't pull number five out of the starting lineup. And now with all that out of the way, we'll preview Monday Night Football between the New York Giants and the Atlanta Falcons. Um, I've already talked about this game a little in the, uh, in the um, betting against a spread pick uh, show that we did on Friday. But kind of it, what I see this playing down as is this is a New York Giants game to lose. If I'm a betting man and I said this on, I put all my chips on, on the Giants covering. The last I checked, there were five-point underdogs. Um, I also put some money on the overs for Eli Manning's numbers. I truly believe that he's going to have this game, of course, where everyone's like, oh, maybe Eli is okay. And, of course, I don't think that he is. I still think he's bad. I just think Atlanta might have the worst defense in football, and I think he'll be able to expose that with, you know, some a five-yard pass to Odell that he takes 70 yards to the house or a slip screen to Barkley that he takes 75 yards to the house. Eli's numbers are going to look pretty good because his playmakers are going to be able to really expose this defense. Not only do I expect them to cover, I do believe the Giants are going to win this football game. I think it's a high-scoring game, um, but I do believe the Giants' defense will be able to limit the run game um, now that Devonta Freeman's not out. I get Tevin Coleman can do a lot in the passing game, so he'll probably get his... Um, Ito Smith might be shut down a little more because I do believe the the interior and front seven of this Giants defense is really their strength defensively. Um, but I do believe the passing game should see some success against a, a secondary that has, has been okay for New York, but it really hasn't blown me away. But I do believe the Giants end up winning this game. I'm actually going to go and say 34-26. to 26. 
Um, I do believe it's a high-scoring game that we get from both of these teams. I do believe we see probably a long touchdown play from both Odell and Saquon Barkley. I believe that the defense for the Giants, you know, bends but doesn't break. I think they give up a few touchdowns here, maybe a field goal, you know, from deep from Matt Bryant. But at the end of the day, the Giants walk away with a win. And, you know, they're still in the thick of things in the NFCs. Now, I don't believe that they'll win it. But, you know, this division is so tight because all the teams are really around the same level that you don't know what could happen at the end of this season. But I do believe the Giants win 34-26 to over the Atlanta Falcons tonight. And that'll wrap it up here for us this week on the Blake Pace Podcast, our Monday episode. Of course, stick tuned, stay tuned, stick tuned, stay tuned for Wednesday's episode where I break down those few games that I mentioned earlier on in the episode. Friday, of course, we'll be back betting with Bennett. It's become one of my favorite shows that we do. We just love to talk football. We love to gamble as well, so that's always fun. Make sure to check out the YouTube channel, like, subscribe, leave a comment on all my content as well, share it with your friends, share it with the show, let me know what you think. Follow me on Twitter at BlakeAndrewFate. Blake Andrew Pace. Follow the show on Twitter at Blake Pace Pod. Thank you guys for listening so much. I really appreciate it. And we will catch you on Wednesday with a little bit of film breakdown. Thanks.